0: and boys and girls, welcome to the Tommy Talk. My name is Juan. This is my co Anthony. This is the Judo Podcast for Judo players by two Judo players. So, Anthony, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a few hours.
1: <laughs> a few hours, <laughs> like a day, yeah, um, half a day. <laughs> trying to catch up on some sleep. Watching Olympics have been pretty draining, even though I didn't watch the last uh, few days. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't stay up anymore, and work got kind of busy. So, had a few people visit me in town. So, yeah.
0: Oh, you did have visitors. You had your uh, sister and some friends. Visit. My sister
1: I had a friend visit, and then next week I have another friend visiting, and then my uh, my father and mother in laws visiting. So,
0: mm-hmm. oh, that should be fun. That's yeah. a fun
1: day. Plus, I'm going to retake my motorcycle test. The thing I told you. No,
0: though, <laughs> no, no, no! You're not allowed. You're not allowed. So, Philippe, Philippe and me, myself, we've all said no. You're not allowed to have a motorcycle license. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, what if I go to Vietnam and need a motorcycle? It's okay. Just How much did hurt. my wife
1: pay you guys? <laughs> to say that
0: <laughs> we care—that's what it is. We care about you. We care about your well-being.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm just getting the license, so I'm not gonna actually. I already paid the money, so I might as well do it, right? But you bought that nice helmet too. Well, it was an okay helmet. It wasn't nice, but it was still pretty was expensive. Nah. Yeah, it was like hundred bucks. So. Hundred bucks. God. Yeah, that was just
0: a hundred bucks. It was nothing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, compared to the other motorcycle helmets out there, it's pretty cheap so
0: it's funny one of my friends in high school when he got his motorcycle license like he would be very protective of his helmet he'd like because we'd mess around with him and his helmet and stuff so we'd like knock on it hit the floor with it and you're like don't oh. do that there's a foam thing inside there where if you bust it i can't
1: use it no, anymore that, like, that's really? exactly what happened when we took the to class um, some uh-huh. people uh they had loaner helmets right which is disgusting by the way which is why i bought my own helmet instead of wearing one especially during covid yeah. um people are laying the helmets upside down <laughs> on the floor and they're yelling at them like, don't do that. Cause of the, the, it just like, apparently messes it up. Uh-huh. Plus, um, you're not technically supposed to store your helmet inside the garage and stuff like that. Cause the fumes from your car and like mm-hmm. them, the gas fumes and, and stuff like degrades the, the foam over time. So yeah. helmets don't think. last forever. Like if you drop it, like if you drop it from a height or you, um, gun and I accidentally replace it just like regular bicycle helmets huh. but yeah apparently the fumes will cause the foam to degrade so you're supposed to change the get a new helmet every like three to five years or so
0: all right well yeah. kind of makes sense because i would think that maybe the fumes would get soaked into your helmets you're just breathing concentrated fumes inside your helmet at that point
1: i don't know about that it's just they're saying yeah. the the petroleum product fumes will degrade mm-hmm. the foam so yeah I, I learned a lot about helmets while i was at the store i asked the guy to explain everything to me because he was trying to upsell me obviously um uh-huh. of course yeah but I, I just bought something that was comfortable because i have a big head and um there's like the dot rated helmets which is basically like the lowest standard so you can get mm. those for like under 100 it's like 70 bucks but i'm like why not pay like a little more for like a higher rated helmet they like test it more thoroughly so mm. Well, now, this helmet's
0: talking mean, interesting because, okay, so what's the difference now between those full, like, ninja skull helmet things and those, like, little half, like, chopper helmets? You uh, know, like, as like, the big Harley you yeah, so, guys
1: wear. So the thing is, it protects your face. <laughs> <Are> you <false? laughs> well, I'm not I saying mean, that, but, like, are there different,
0: like, safety? Like, is it, like, one Yeah, it's preference, one more safety than the other?
1: Seriously, when I was wearing a helmet, especially during the test and the heat, it was, like, brutal. And I was like, oh, I wish I had that half face helmet thing, right? Uh-huh. And, um, they're a little cheaper too, but they also have modular, like ones that will um, you can lift up so that it become it goes from like a full face to like a, a half what they call a half face helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also that little Ninja Turtle shell, yeah, thing. like you get
0: not, a not point the, at the top of it. Yeah, yeah. There's those
1: that the Harley bikers wear and stuff. That's like you They told me that's not even approved. That you're not supposed to be wearing. Oh, that. they're really not okay. They're not DOT approved. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically. It, it's cooler and hot, hotter weather and you feel the wind in your face. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, if you don't have a windscreen above your um, motorcycle, that's when all the flies and rocks and stuff go in your face. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I prefer the full face, but it was so hot that actually was, I understood why people get the, the modular. Like Eric, Eric has a modular one. He tells me it gets so hot in LA that he enjoys the modular ones. But while I was taking the test, this girl like wiped out and she like fall fell like forward first. And I was like, Oh man, if there was a, a curb there or something, like I would yeah. definitely wish I had a full face helmet, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah, that, that be safe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if anyone got any suggestions for motorcycle helmets for Anthony, yeah, just send them. I play, already have you know?
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if you, if you know me, then, um, my wife can contest to this is, um, whenever before i do something i research the hell out of it like i'd spend like days like reading about it and then i become kind of like a semi obsessed obsessed with researching and (laughs) i know like everything about that but not maybe not in depth but i i know like for example i knew the differences between all the helmets and stuff Mm. and some of the nicer helmets get to like four or five hundred bucks because they have like bluetooth built in and stuff like that oh yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah
0: You see that i guess i watch like i'm a i'm a terrible guy i like watching crash videos sometimes on youtube oh my gosh (laughs) and you'll hear the guys talking and they're like on their bluetooth they're recording while they're talking and what they're doing Mm -hmm. and whatnot and i'd be like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh no he's gonna watch it oh oh, i gotta watch out the way it's like this sounds i would hate to be recorded during one of my stupidest times in my life and then posted on the internet
1: (laughs) it's for those it's for the group rides that they do like when you ride with your friends, that's one of the fun things about motorcycles, I think. Is um, well, I ha- obviously I haven't ridden one yet, other than at the <laughs> test. But I think the social aspect of it is really cool. How you like go ride along the beach or the PCH here with the friends and being able to chat while you're riding is awesome because otherwise you have to stop and do like hand signals and stuff. So,
0: <laughs> hand signals, okay, <laughs> stop, go, pass this. <laughs> I
1: like, went to, on. yeah. So, what uh, speaking of my friend visiting, I went to a uh, Neptune's nest. Tunes nest. When they filmed uh, Fast and the Furious, where mm-hmm. they had the lunch, mm-hmm. I drove up PCH in Malibu and had lunch there. And there was a bunch of bikers there, so I yeah. was like, "Oh man, that sounds that looks really fun! Like riding a bike along the PCH up and getting like some overpriced um, sandwiches and tacos." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I've shot. I shot. Um, actually, it was a reality. It was a reality hitting camera show up there before. But it's when I've been there for a um, hitting camera reality show. And I was actually in Fast and Furious Part One, Two, Three, Four. I was actually Fast and Furious Part Four in one of the club scenes.
1: Fast Four, club yeah, scenes. I was in okay. Were you yeah. were you clubbing or you a bouncer or what? No, I was just a
0: normal. I was back when I think it was in my twenties at the time, so I was still like oh, yep, be at the up. club, hanging out, <laughs> checking all the fine ladies and stuff. And like, what's up, mama? How you doing?
1: <laughs> hey, how'd you say well, that?
0: The funniest thing is that it was freezing outside because he's doing this scene in December, I think it was. Either it was a late night scene, it's cold as hell outside. We're all wearing like loose shirts or t-shirts, or open shirts and stuff. Girls are wearing short mini skirts, small dresses. Vin Diesel's walking around, big old puffy jacket. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Hey, that's the entire time of Vin Diesel again in their show. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, Oh, how you doing? All right. And it'd be over at the heaters and they're like, take that sweater off. You're not going <laughs> to wear a sweater in that scene. Oh, oh well, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> don't, if you ever come to LA, don't do club scenes outside. It's during the winter. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> well, that's enough All about right. us and our little stupid talks. So, me and Anthony yesterday, we did a fun thing. You might have seen it if you watch, if you uh, follow our Instagram and stuff, you follow Hollywood Judo's Instagram or Facebook. Me and Anthony both renewed our coaching licenses. Um, so Sensei Philippe, the head instructor at Dojo, had a coaching clinic at our dojo. We have a classroom upstairs, so we renewed our cl- our coaching license and we did it this time. Or we actually, I've actually done it through USA Judo, USJF. No, i have never done USJF. I'm just in USA Judo and USJA. So I think this is my third time getting my USA USJA certification. And the interesting thing about this is that. Um, Judo makes, well, the new rules. Now, before it used to be like four years license. Now it's only a two-year license.
1: Didn't need that money. <laughs>
0: what? Yeah, they need that. They need that money. Or actually, here's a little funny thing. Um, my last license, I let it expire because of the coronavirus. I knew we were going to compete at all. I kept getting emails from uh, USJA being like, hey, do you want to renew? Hey, would yeah, you like to I got, renew? Yeah, I
1: got the same thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, would you like to renew? Would you want to renew? <laughs> it's, like, you, anyway, it's like, you don't have to retake the class as long as you renew it right now. And I was like, hmm should i nah i need to save some money
1: (laughs) no the the thing is the previous one that they they gave this is that that's a weird thing because the previous one i took i took it like four times i think i told you already because i Mm -hmm. helped philip run the um, the projector and stuff um the previous one was through us through nanka it was through Mm -hmm. nanka which should be usjf but the license itself that came like my my coaching license the id card that was usja yeah so I never signed up for a USJA membership, but I paid for the the coaching certificate and I got a USJA license card. So I'm like, did they just like gave me a free membership? Or I because they asked me to renew my membership. I'm like, I never signed up for a membership. <laughs> so that's really interesting um, that it went through that way. Plus, that was a that was a regional coaching license. So if you renewed it. I don't know if it will be still be a regional because this course now is like a Shodan level. The one that we took yesterday was yeah. a Shodan level national Uh, uh Shodan,
0: coach. for those out there I don't know, Shodan is black belt and above. You have to minimum be a first on black belt and above, which we did have a white belt try to come to the clinic
1: and sit in yeah. halfway through. He saw it on Facebook. Well, to be fair, like it, it was kind of like Shodan and above, like really small text in <laughs> the bottom. But yeah, so... If you renewed it, I don't know if they would have, like, upgraded it to, like, a national level cert. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a good question. If you didn't take this course and you just took previous one and renewed it. Or whether you had to retake it. So, the Felipe well, uh, did add some new stuff in this course, though.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, with my last one, I could do winter nationals. Um, I know I definitely did winter nationals. I did San Jose State, and they didn't have a problem with that. I can't remember when I went to USA nationals. I didn't coach there. I was like a half-assed, yeah. like consistent
1: coach. Yeah, the the one night I went to USA Nationals and they wouldn't let me coach with that license. They told me yeah. straight up. Yeah. So I'm wondering because of the way that things are right now with the politics and the three, like I, I would I would say they kind of quietly deteriorated, <laughs> even though they signed <laughs> an agreement. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if whether this when I get this license, whether I'd be able to coach at the USA Judo Nationals because. You need USA Judo membership to, par- to participate and compete in that tournament. They don't take mm-hmm. the other organizations. Yeah. So I wonder if that's the same for coaching or whether they would accept this USJA national coaching
0: well, license. Well, Philippe, Philippe did say during the clinic, like a uh, little opening mm-hmm. at the beginning, he's telling everybody everything, that this license is um, a level one, but you can use this at USA Nationals. So okay. I, I believe, I, I remember him saying that unless I imagined it. I was a little tired.
1: Yeah, I this. Yeah, because <laughs> funny story. I think I told it before, but at the nationals, uh, you know how the adults always fight last, right? Mm-hmm. So at Adam's match, mm-hmm. he he won his match, mm-hmm. but I think the ref was so tired, he tried to give the win to the to the other guy. Yeah, and yeah. he was. They were arguing with the table about uh-huh. it, and I feel I was like, oh man, if, I I can't say anything. But if I had my, if I was coaching at the chair, I can like say something, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just. That's what I was thinking, those kind of scenarios. So, next time we go to nationals, I was like, maybe it will help if I have a coaching license. So, Mm -hmm. that's recognized.
0: Yeah. And like me that day, I don't, yeah, I don't think I coached. I think I was like assisting and helping things out. But because I was competing later that day, I was kind of just focused on my own stuff, my own mind, and do my own thing, hanging out in the back and you're helping more, but yeah, it's really a uh, good coaching clinic. Since Fleet always does a really nice one, it's very comprehensive, talks about everything. Was there any, was there anything different that you learned this time or thought about this time?
1: Well, there was that thought test. There was that test oh. at the end. Yeah. Um. But the reason why I kept offering to show up and help with a projector, even though I can easily teach him how to hook it up and just let him do it by himself. But <laughs> was the discussions at the end tend to be very productive because, um, mm the materials in the beginning is always the same. Like, Oh, only like 12%, 10 to 12% of Judoka's national compete. And then we, and the main themes was um, we have to train smarter here in America. Cause mm-hmm. we don't have the resources or an amount of training partners mm-hmm. that like other countries do. So when this, this is, I'm going to feel like some people are going to get offended by this, but a lot of times I see people, especially some old older people would be like oh they do this in japan or they do this in in uh, europe or whatever it's like well that's because they have like 300 people on on the mat at a time you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they have the numbers they have the numbers they have the resources we don't so you can't not everything that they do in other countries is going to work here and you have to train smarter and teach smarter and also the way that you did things back then like there's dells before youtube and slow motion replay and like people learn faster now, I think, because they have more resources. Um, mm. To a certain extent, of, of course, right? It's still good. you still have to put in the hard work. It's not like oh, I watched Naginokata, so now I'm ready for my black belt test. Like it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work like that, right? I watched a TikTok of Naginokata. <laughs> I know it. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it definitely helps. So you can't we can't, we have to like modify our. I mean, going back to our previous episodes, but we have to modify our approach to how we're teaching to mm-hmm. figure out an American judo system <laughs> American <laughs> to, to yeah great the AJDM <laughs> yeah so we need to do something like that um, how did we get to this topic And I tend to trail <laughs> off you start talking about what I asked
0: you what you learned if you, anything was different you yeah all of these classes.
1: so basically the discussions yep the discussions are always the ones where it's different from class to class because we have different people coming from different states like one time we had a guy from Las Vegas we had people from mm-hmm. NorCal This time we had a guy from San Francisco, even when he showed up late, but um, (laughs) yeah, so all these people coming around and the discussions um, also opens up my eyes to how people view judo differently in different parts of the country. We're not, it's clear that we're not all on the same page, which is both good and a bad thing Mm because not one single approach might be the right way of quote-unquote, fixing Judo in America. So it's good to have multiple people trying multiple different things. But at the same time, people aren't on the same page, which is why we have three different organizations and such a big, uh, a lot of um, heated debates going on, let's just say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really, when I went and took my first coaching clinic and it was, um, I think it was a USJA coaching clinic, it was the first one I ever took. And that was when it was like a big class too. Like there was at least 30 people in this class. Well, maybe 20 or 25, maybe 30, somewhere around there. It's a big Mm -hmm. class. And when you got to, and it was about the questionnaire, the question time about people asking for questions and or I can't remember remember asking questions or it was like one of those scenario things where, well, if someone does this, what would this be or what would that be allowed? Mm -hmm. And that was where this one guy was adamant, was adamant that Kochi, and I bring this up all the time about people that should know what different moves are. That Kochi and Ochigari was one name for two moves. That, that he was like Kochi, Ochigari wasn't two different moves. They were two different moves, but they weren't two different names. And I was just like, this guy is a black I, I thought it was a black belt. He could have not been a black belt back then. I know he could have been a brown belt, maybe. was Did not know the difference between Kochi and Ochigari. He's arguing with the guy that's getting the class about it. And it's just like, wow, so this guy's gonna become a coach. And he doesn't even know the difference that it's two different names. I think it's one name. And it's one of those things where a lot of teachers teach Kochi and ochigati together. And they'll sometimes say it, Kochi, Ochigati, or people will do the combo, Kochi, ochigati And it's just like, it, you well, see that... like the levels and skills of people at these clinics sometimes. I don't want to talk shit. I'm not talking shit about nobody and stuff. But you see like who how much people know and what people don't know. That's one thing that Philippe talked about during his thing that – If you're gonna be a coach and coach people you don't have to master every throw Mm -hmm. but you should know every throw the
1: basics yep yeah um but that that's one of the arguments people have for um having a centralized testing like a centralized one organization doing all the testing stuff like in europe and many places you have to go to like a testing event and then you have to do the kata you have to do the uh the competition and beat the same x amount of people in your rank and then you have to do a written test Mm -hmm. so that ensures the quality of the belts right Mm -hmm. we've had people visit our dojo that are brown belts that are definitely like really (laughs) good high level judokas but they're like oh i couldn't pass the kata part or something Mm so that's why they're brown belt and I mean, and
0: and you get the opposite also. So yeah, you get the opposite also.
1: There's always going to be people that slip through the cracks, like exceptions, and Mm -hmm. you can't cover all the cases. You can't just like pick out one edge case and be like, this is why we shouldn't do it that way. But I think ensuring the this is how one of the ways that people ensure the quality of black belts. Right. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, if you only have one organization like that, then you only have a single point of failure. Right. So if that organization has power over judo in that country and they suck ass um, like <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call out Australia here cuz they have like they used to have this stupid archaic if you listen to um, Dave Roman on Judo Chop City podcast they have this stupid system where if you're a uh, adult starting judo and you want to get your black belt you have to compete with seniors like you're if, let's just say you started in your 40s and then you're like it took you 10 years. You changed it you in your 50s now. Yeah. You, need, you have to have the competition points from fighting 20-year-olds in order to get your black belt.
0: Well, that, you get one uh, point for showing up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you actually have, have to get wins. So uh-huh. you're kind of screwed because they only have one governing Still, body, right? You're telling me
0: in Australia there's no veterans division at all? There is, but it doesn't I mean, count not, I mean, towards wait, your uh, black belts. Oh, in America, we call them veterans now or yeah. master's division or anything like that. There is, but understand. it doesn't count
1: towards your competition points to get a black belt. I think I think they changed it now after uh, people complained, but I, for the longest time, it was like that. And that's why people are like, why the hell are you still a brown belt? <laughs> like, after all <laughs> these years. Because I can't get a win.
0: That's why. I can't beat a 20-year-old. <laughs> it's too strong. Shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, so... I think one of the guys on Reddit, he had, he was in Australia, had been brown belt for like many years. He teaches judo at a BJJ place as a yeah. brown belt. And he has like triple knee surgery before. And it's like, I'm not going to go and compete with those crazy 20 year olds. <laughs> and yeah, so basically there's a re there's a pro and a con to having higher standards and how we approach to having those higher standards for the black belt. And I'm, like what Philippe said, it's like ultimately, you're the one wearing the belt. You're the one that's gonna look stupid if you yes. don't know the names, and everyone mm-hmm. calls you out on it. You're the one that's gonna look stupid if you can't do shit. Like you, like, like <laughs> I'm trying not to call people out, but like we have people show up and not know, not even know what Tayatoshi is. Is like, how did you get that that not but black belt? But how did you get that belt? Who the hell gave it to you? You know, like so. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a funny one. They'll be like, it's a recent situation that happened with a visitor when they're like where they're working with me they're like okay i want to work on taitoshi and I'm like, go oh, i think it was the same guy maybe yeah i'm great taitoshi they're like okay show me your taitoshi i'll help you out because i have a pretty i, I don't want to brag or nothing but i have a pretty good <laughs> taitoshi and stuff you know i'm not bad at it but <laughs> like, okay show me taitoshi i'll help you out and he kept trying to do like a really bad goshi. i'm like after a while i'm like hey stop, stop 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 man stop stop what are you trying to do and he looks me dead in the eye taitoshi i'm like you ain't doing Taitoshi, brother. Right? <laughs> you're not doing Taitoshi. You're doing Goshi And a bad Goshi at that, you're trying to break my damn knee. All right. And I demonstrated a Taitoshi form. He's like, oh, no, no. no I, I want to do this other thing. I'm like, so you want to do goshi. Like, yeah. So I... I sh- Again, I had to because he was doing a bad one Anyways, I tried to teach him like a good high, good basic harai goshi, nothing fancy. And my cross step stuff that I do or my double steps, just a simple step in high, And a guy with a brown belt, or at least he says he was a brown belt. You'll get that sometimes, or you get from certain countries. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. be like a Korean hater because I bring this up, but we're in, we're near Koreatown here in Los Angeles. Uh, there's another dojo in LA that's a big Korean dojo. And when they're having problems for a little while, we were getting some of the visitors would come to us. And in Korea, in South Korea, not North Korea, South Korea, <laughs> you go in the military, you get your two years in the military and what you either do, you focus on Taekwondo or you focus on Judo. So a lot of these guys are getting a black moon Taekwondo or black moon Judo in a two years. And you would think that's okay, two years, you're in the military, concentrate, you're just doing stuff all day long.
1: It's, it's, the, it's they do the same thing as Japan where the, the Shodan is a beginner rank. It's not mm-hmm. a mastery rank like it is here in America, so. yeah.
0: So, we get them to visit, and they're not that good. I've actually had a guy, well, there's one guy that's visiting and stuff for a while before he moved away. He was like, Oh, I, I'm just going to put on a white belt. And when he just starts showing up in a white belt together, like, yep. no, no, you you have a black belt. Like, we we respect that. We honor it. It's just, you're not at our level. It's just a different, like, different cultural things, you know?
1: Yeah. So, it, as a visitor, yeah. when you visit dojos and you put on a rank that you don't deserve to have, um, I, I'm just saying that as in, like, I mean, I'm not going to like say your sensei gave, like, gave it to you out of pity or something, but basically <laughs> you're not at that level, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like, again, you look stupid, but also as a safety thing, right? Um, yeah. One of, the, one of the gentlemen's at the coaching clinic was saying like, well, we have all these people inf- getting inflated ranks. It's like, well, you show up with the black belt, people are going to throw you like a black belt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, like <laughs> you, judo has this natural way of filtering out the – This kind of problem, right? Mm -hmm. So same thing with the brown belt. If if I see a brown belt show up at our visit our dojo, I'm gonna throw him like a brown belt. And all these people asking when I'm gonna get promoted, when I'm gonna get promoted, and you're not getting them, giving them the promotion is also for their safety, right? Because you give them this belt. Let's say they move somewhere else or they visit somewhere else, and people see it. Oh, like you're at orange belt. I should be able to do like this throw at this strength against you and you break your arm throwing it then <laughs> like yeah see
0: people anthony's breaking arms here okay anthony is throwing orange belts <laughs> hard and breaking arms all right i would never do that i would just joke him out <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so it's a safety thing but also at the same time like we said it's not a really huge problem there's a natural way of filtering out so
0: mm. well that brings up to another topic that's that um, i can't remember which gentleman was brought up about sandbagging so now it's the opposite of that it's not like just passing out belts like candy during christmas or halloween or something now it's about people that sandbag a person because they don't show up i know you br- like i always bring up for you how your old dojo you had a guy at your dojo um was really good but he, he listens to, his-
1: to this by the way so what <laughs> he, i'm pretty sure he listens to this podcast or good. some of them i'll do. call him yeah. out
0: then all right i say <laughs> i want you to come to la i'm gonna help <laughs> you out all right i want the best for you all right he's, That's a, he's a
1: brown belt now so
0: yeah good but you were saying to me that for a long time, he didn't want to get his rumble because I don't know if he's scared of competition or he just wanted to go higher rank. Mm-hmm. So he would never test. And you're, since your old sensei had a very strict testing schedule, if you didn't show up for that Well, he didn't day.
1: show up to class. and he shows up late all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so. Is it halfway through class? We did roll. The,
0: yeah. No, we no testing. All right, cool. I'm back. <laughs> but you guess things like that. And that was one question the guy had about how… Um, what do we do if we see a guy that's been competing for years as a white belt, you've seen him for years as an orange, or maybe he's just progressing very slowly, but he's mm-hmm. good. You know, this guy is brown belt level, or he's a high level guy, but you see him like he's a year as a yellow belt, a year as an orange belt, a year as a green belt. And you're just like, this guy has been here for three years and stuff growing very slowly, progressing, like not progressing at all. Or mean, he's keeping a white belt the entire time. Mm-hmm. And now he goes look at my student and the gentleman brought up, um, what do you say? Like my student that was did judo for three months or something, two or three months. Who? It, it, it was a scenario that guy brought up. It was like it was if I.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah he's saying like my student that that uh, did judo for three months, go to a competition and you see the same kid wearing a white belt for three years, like destroying everyone.
0: Yeah. like Is there a way to like complain or write to someone or file a complaint? And really, there isn't a way mm-hmm. like that. And I think that was interesting, too. Like, should there be maybe I don't know. Like it's up to the dojo to figure out what level they want you to be at. And maybe some dojos want you to be at a certain level. Like I know, uh, one of my old sensei, in Moss, was like that, like he had this thing, like if you want to be a brown belt, he had like this God level, because it mm-hmm. just things like this God level brown belt you had to be to be a brown belt.
1: Yeah, so I kind of had that uh, worry because our kids, like our kid ranks are basically adult ranks um, in terms of times and grade and knowledge required. Mm-hmm. Um Compared to other dojos, you get a yellow belt in a few months. Like our, we I think we make our kids go like a year or or more before they get their yellow belt. Um, yeah, so when we go to tournaments, obviously, I I was afraid that we would get sandbagged. but then at the same time, they don't. We don't have enough judokas to separate it by rank like that. So you, it <laughs> doesn't matter what rank you are, you end up competing in the same way. Mm-hmm. So unless you tell me the kid that was sandbagging is a brown belt level genius like 7 year old then <laughs> i don't <laughs> this think 7
0: year olds amazing he has this cross up toshi and stuff there's this flying armbar no oh, no kids can't do flying armbars so. um
1: <laughs> yeah so unless you tell me that's the case i don't really think like oh this white belt going up against a green belt that someone that should be a green belt level is going to really make a difference right because you're still mm-hmm. going to fight even yeah. if that green um that white belt gets promoted a green belt you're still fighting a novice in the same weight class mm-hmm. you're still going to fight that person um and I mean can you imagine as a parent if your kid is like winning everything but still a white belt wouldn't you complain like hey sensei like why aren't you promoting my kid
0: no I'd be like, very happy I'd be proud like yeah <laughs> look at my boy look at look this my, look, my look at my girl right here belt. look an ass.
1: <laughs> but I I just think there's a lot of like things like I, I don't think it's a realistic scenario basically so
0: all right. So another thing that I thought was interesting for me is uh, one thing about coaching is that uh, how many strikes do you get as a coach when you're yelling at the ref or you're yelling at your <laughs> student and stuff on the mat, not off the mat, like you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you did bad. You uh, you shouldn't do that anyways. But when you're on when you're there at the coaching station, and you're coaching your student, uh, whether it's adults or youth, you get one reprimand and you, then you get told to leave. Which is funny to me because if you're the Brazil, the female Brazilian coach, as soon as you sit down, they see you and tell you to leave.
1: <laughs> Are you I talking about that
0: one that's the, the one that's really animated? She is. I love that woman. She's so animated. She's into her
1: matches. She's yelling yep. and stuff. I have, I have like uh, gifts of her saved, of her like going like, when, yeah, when she's so, always like,
0: like, move this way, move that. And she's like swinging her hands down. I love watching her coach. Like, I hope yeah. the camera on her more often. Yep. But yeah, it's funny because her, like, she really doesn't get one warning. It's like, as soon as she says something, as soon as she's like, Shido! she's like, "People," And they're like, you, ma'am, leave. <laughs> and then they'll put her in the stands. This is awesome. She'll put her in the stands and she's still shouting. You know, it's like, oh, it's even worse now because now you can't yell at me. But they, I have seen her been told to leave the arena before.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the... In judo, the coach role is so um, <laughs> specific because you can only coach during between mate and hajime. Yes. Like yeah. when action is stopped. Mm-hmm. And there's really only so much you can do, right? Because you can't be like use uchimata and then like everyone here is like yeah <laughs> what you, gonna do is next? A, you, you
0: gotta get code names like some of these mma fighters you know like go for hadoken uh show your upper
1: <laughs> but if you listen to like jimmy pedro and uh, coaching kayla harrison in her mm-hmm. gold medal match um and other coaches that if you understand like japanese or um uh in, like other languages they don't really give specific advice it's always like focus like it's like a mental more mental mm-hmm. um support thing
0: yeah, it'll and, be like, calm your breathing down. Focus. Yeah. Think about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, or, or pointing out, like, he, she's tired. Go, for, go in for the kill. Like, that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I don't think you have to be, like, a judo world champion to, be, <laughs> to do that kind of stuff. So it kind of uh-huh. it kind of goes, uh, again, to what um, Philippe says, and m- m- most people know this already, is that coaching is a different skill set from mm-hmm. competing in judo. But being a good competitor, you probably had experienced good coaching and that might make you a good coach, but it's not mutually exclusive. So,
0: yeah, it's a, it's one thing that's so really interesting to me is how they'll like, the rule is so strict about when I coach somebody, when I'm on the mat, like it says from mate to Hajime, I can tell them what to do. Like tell them to go, go for your Uchimata or go for left side or go hard, whatever I'm going to tell them, but that's only, I can only coach that time, but I get sometimes a parent in the back or another dojo mate or, um, like if someone trains at multiple gyms and I have another coach behind me yelling stuff during the match. And it's just like, like, can you tell that guy to shut up or them to shut <laughs> up too, please? No, they
1: can't. They can't. That's the thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, and even in the Olympics, like the Olympics, even though there was no one there, there's just teammates. Uh, They're teammates, uh,
1: coaches all the time. Che-
0: yeah, teammates cheering and coaching so You hear them all the other time. Uchi How go? telling you. When I went out. to the world
1: championship, I sat next to a bunch of teammates and family members, and they all coach from <laughs> is this, the side. Is this is uh, the
0: Mongolian story again.
1: <laughs> At the Mongolian, there's the British uh, Chelsea Giles, her, her mom uh, is next to us, a screeching banshee oh, voice. But
0: here's an, inter- here's an interesting one. You were sitting next to the um, Abe fam- Abe's family dad, weren't you? We
1: were. Uh, we were like like 10 seats away from him he wasn't oh, okay. he, he was really calm i don't think i actually don't know if he trains judo because he was just like watching the whole time uh uh-huh. um he wasn't trying to coach he was cheering but he was trying to coach we also sat next to uh Mariama's wife mm-hmm. was so she got coaching? You no, know, we still got to see her like hold like oh. kind of like praying you know like mm-hmm. hold like holding on for a dear life but she was crying that's, and everyone was congratulating <laughs> her when uh, uh-huh. when he won um that's,
0: that's always a weird thing that that's a weird like um because Pride, Rising, Dream, they all did that where the fighters fight and don't have like their wife or girlfriend or this whole family of kids like in the audience, they'll show them just like be like, oh no, is he okay? I'm like, I never like my, this is one weird thing about Juan here. I don't like family, friends, unless they're they're teammates stuff. I don't invite Mm -hmm. family. I don't invite friends. I don't want no one watching me when I fight. I like being a lone wolf, just out there fighting myself. That is how I am. I don't like when I had my MMA fights. I didn't invite nobody. When I had my amateur fights, I didn't fight nobody. Wrestling matches, like I, I like going to tournaments by myself and just working out by myself. Yeah, That's I wouldn't want to invite.
1: Am. Well, I I bring my wife just so she can record sometimes. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I
0: I hate bringing my girlfriends, significant others, my wife. Right now, I don't bring none of my stuff like that. Like I don't I don't like dealing with that kind of stuff. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I'm like, you don't, you know, they can't hear you, right? We're pretty, we're far enough, and there's like, <laughs> a, there's still a crowd back then, so you can, you, I'm like, you can't, they can't hear you, so, uh-huh. um, but I guess it's, it just invokes that kind of reaction to people who are really into it, so, mm-hmm. um, but which do we want to start talking about the Olympics again?
0: Oh, <laughs> well, is there anything else in the coaching clinic you thought was interesting in this scenario since we've talked about? No, I or- think
1: everything we're going to talk about is going to tie tie back to each other in terms of coaching today, so.
0: Okay, pretty much. It's kind of a coaching episode, I guess. But yeah. um so let's go back to the Olympics then. So the last episode we talked about the first year of the Olympics. Now we're not gonna go over every match. I know people don't like hearing about every match and stuff. We're gonna talk about some bullet points, some interesting things that we thought that we thought about it. Okay.
1: Yeah, so one if thing you listen I, to Dave Roman's podcast? He goes over pretty much every match. So you can, Oh,
0: does he? At the, yeah. I listen to some of his podcasts, like, hey, yeah. great friend of the podcast. So We really appreciate him. We really appreciate uh, him listening to, you listen to him and him listen to us, all right. Yeah but um so really cool thing so uh the japanese team in total of metal count i'm talking about gold medals and silver they're talking about total medal count for judo they took 12 medals out of 15 so out of 15 medals they only did not place in three categories which is nuts all right um really interesting thing that i thought also was uh the french woman uh clarice i never say her name, clarice,
1: name right uh
0: Abic Yeah, I'm going to try her last name. She did it where three weeks ago she won. Well, actually more than that now, but it was three (laughs) weeks ago from competition. It was um, she won the world championships for this year. Three weeks later, she wins the Olympic gold medal. And then a few days later, she wins the team medal. So that so she won three gold medals in a three week span, two of them in one week, which is nuts.
1: That's crazy. She left Japan. We talked about it. We talked about it and we didn't. That's just never popped up on our radar We're talking about um, Krista Taguchi And uh, Klim K, Like potentially being the ones to win double Gold mm-hmm. um, yeah. in the same year But she ends up doing triple gold So
0: yeah that's, that's That's better than anything right there like oh That's nice you guys got one gold. no I got Two in one week all right I got Three <laughs> in three weeks thank You and next Olympics Is in my home country so I got home I got home field advantage next time so that's my speaking
1: thing about it. Of, speaking of home field advantage, I I think the overall theme of the whole uh, judo in Olympics was Japanese had the home field advantage for the ref the ref calls.
0: You think so? Well, I, yeah. I thought, so I thought this was one interesting thing about home field advantage. Now this is a little bit just about the Olympics and my thought about it. They put judo and karate at the um at the Budokan at um, mm. at. Uh, whatever I can't it remember anyway, at the, at the yeah. Budokon, Okay, they put boxing. No, they put wrestling and taekwondo at some other arena. <laughs> it's like I can't remember what arena they put them at. I, I don't want. To, was it Saitama?
1: No, I don't think. Well, it was it's going on at the same time, around the yeah. same time, so it makes sense.
0: Yeah, but I thought it was funny that Japanese sports, the Japanese Japanese sports, get to be at a special Japanese arena. You know, <laughs> that was my thing about it. I thought that was a little funny. Even karate, which uh, so sadly, Japan did do the well in karate. That's Sadly, I think they only took like two or three medals out of all the events.
1: I think they did well in the kata, but the kumite, I don't think they did Um, very well.
0: From what I know, and I can't remember if it was two or three, but I know the men's kata, they took first. They took gold, and then they took bronze, I want to say, in the heavyweight division Mm -hmm. in karate. And I think another, I think it was a woman that placed, but I can't remember if it was or whatnot. Message me, guys. I don't know. I'm not going to look it up right now. (laughs) <laughs> That's terrible. back to judo though that was another cool thing that i thought that i thought was very interesting oh so france itself just talk about france so mm-hmm. france is gonna is gonna be having the next olympics in three years not four mm-hmm. years not five years in three years as long as everything goes well with COVID, a little
1: less so. than three years now like it's yeah. already august yeah
0: yeah it's pretty crazy to think about that um but the french team took eight medals out of 15 which is really good too mm-hmm. they, they uh Japan took number one, took all the metal, took the most medals. France was number two, great powerhouse in judo, took eight out of fifteen, which is nothing to fucking, nothing to laugh at. That's a great thing right there. Um, in my opinion, someone that did really well. And I don't, and I know you don't like talking about this, but at minus 100 kilos, um, Aaron Wolf took gold, and this is one of my big questions. I know people don't like hearing about this. So Aaron Wolf, I'm not sure what his other half is. Of course, he's half Japanese, in the Japanese team. It's and we was talk about him. What? He's
1: half American.
0: Well, that's what they say. He's half American. I want to know what kind of American he is. <laughs> is he Wolf? Uh, what, what tribe is he from? <laughs> they always say he's just half American. and I don't, I'm not going to dive into the kid's like path or find stuff like mm-hmm. that or whatever. The kid's half American. Do you think Aaron Wolf would be so good if he would have trained and been in America instead of being in Japan? Clearly. He be America's next great hope? If you would train his whole life, obvious
1: answer is no, because he'd have to he'd <laughs> have to break the way they teach kids in in Japan is different from America. Like here in America, you you minimum most places minimum age is five, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. And
1: the requirement is that they should be able to focus in class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like go look at the kids, the five year olds in Japan. They've already been doing judo since they were two or three. Yeah. And well
0: a lot of well, I can't remember who the interview was talking which interview it was. I think it might have been uh obvious. It might, it might have been someone else. I can't remember who it mm-hmm. was. But they're like, Yeah, I started judo when I was like three. Like I started playing judo when I was yeah, three. Play. And yeah. I got more serious when I was four. And I'm like, three and four. All right. So if I have a kid, I gotta teach him yeah. play judo at three and get them start serious at four.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you look at um what some of the kids do at the age like six or seven, they're already doing what the beginners in our beginners class do. Mm-hmm. It's, like it's just nuts like it's and it's the con okay i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this especially since i don't have kids but <laughs> i think a lot of it has to do with not just how it's taught at um at the dojo by this instructor but also how it's how the parents are parenting the kids mm-hmm. at home like whether they have discipline and focus and coordination and do other stuff and stuff but um we have people that just treat judo as a daycare, you know? So. Well,
0: yeah, a lot of people treat the outside sports as just daycare. Yeah. it's an American thing. Like if, Whether it's baseball, soccer, any other basketball, football, whatever it is, people like when I, when I was teaching karate out in, if you live in Los Angeles, I taught karate in Simi Valley for a couple of years. Some kids wouldn't focus and parents would just drop them off and come back an hour and a half later and pick up their kids and didn't care whether they promoted or did well or anything. So it's just an hour and a half or an hour away from my kids. Great. (laughs) I'm going to get a coffee, read a book.
1: I think there's also the bad size of the way that they train in Japan is that like corporal punishment and stuff like that. So, but Mm -hmm. still like you can't, you can't compare back to your original question. If he started in America, there's (laughs) no way like in world that it would happen like that. Maybe, maybe if he had like a dad, like Jimmy Pedro's dad Mm -hmm. and kind of like, what, kind of trained him hard. Sent had the money to send him abroad and train in Japan, or even live in Japan. Like if he started here and live in Japan, there's still a good chance. I think that's that's what I think. Yeah. But
0: so that's just one of my answer questions about like he's half American. Would he be so good if you're gonna American? Most thing mean, it is the truth is that most likely probably not. He may have been. Yeah, like, we don't know how dedicated his parents are, whether it his mom or his dad, who was one that pushed him. Or if it's just a uh, like whatever judo classic got put in when he was younger just saw potential I'm like this kid can mm-hmm. be something. I'm gonna nurture that or beat it out of him in Japanese style, <laughs> corporal punishment. I'm not for beating kids, okay? I'm not for I'm making Duba push-ups and sit-ups mm-hmm. and squats, but not beating them.
1: <laughs> well, for one thing, his judo style would have been totally different, right? And maybe yeah. he maybe if he stayed here would have went into wrestling instead. That's true.
0: No? Well, there's no. a question that I, I had with um we had our judo watch party it was really fun mm-hmm. I, was, I don't know who i was talking to i think i am mean, talking to emmanuel or maybe um who was i talking to either eric or man i can't remember what it was but we we're talking about um teddy reiner yeah. and i was like teddy reiner you know olympic champion 10-time world champion stuff uh he took bronze at the olympics this year You want to know he took bronze actually got thrown at the olympics by the russian player with uh was it was a controlled takedown, like a Kochiati controlled takedown? Mm-hmm. What was it? Or it was, it was pretty much like a push down. Yeah. But it was controlled, so they counted as Wasadi, I believe. I may be wrong. I don't know. I didn't write it down. But if Teddy Reiner, Teddy Reiner, if he was born in America, instead of France, that guy would have been a basketball player, he would have been a football mm-hmm. player. There would be no 10-time world champion with Teddy Reiner. Yeah. I'm I'm 90% sure that if he was born in America, that guy's size. He would have been playing basketball or football. There ain't no way he would have been doing judo.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say judo at, uh, athletes are some of the most well rounded and athletic people in the world. So they would transfer really well to other sports. So do you think he'll be? That's a good thing about Tony Reiner. Do you think he'll be in
0: France in three years or two and a half, pretty much?
1: I don't know. Given his. Before the Olympics, I would have say, said yes. Mm-hmm. But now I, I, I think no
0: <laughs> it's only two and a half years he got, in, judo, he got in good shape he got in good shape for this olympics too yeah he didn't take gold but he got in good shape he i think you, like-
1: if you ask me again in a year and we yeah. see how he performs or whether he still competes in the the world circuit um mm-hmm. i think we have a better answer but as of right now i don't i wasn't i i think he barely scraped by with that bronze even so oh, okay. um yeah
0: so Teddy, if you see his podcast or hear about his podcast, this is Anthony here. Okay, he fights at um, minus hundred kilos. So if you want to come over, you know, teach him something, I really
1: appreciate it. Yeah. So basically, we, I, I think he's just going to keep going downhill from here. Uh,
0: oh, um, oh, oh. Okay. So you can send those messages to Anthony at.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's my personal opinion based off his performance this Olympic, right? Um, uh-huh. But if. Maybe it wasn't physical or age. It was just his time off from competing that caused him to perform this way. Maybe next, this following next couple of years, he'll compete a lot and come back into shape or discover a different way of fighting that adapts Mm -hmm. to his aging body. Then, Mm -hmm. yeah, anything can happen. Just like when I said Nagase was going to win gold medal, someone was like, "Ah, I like Nagase, but don't think that's going to happen. And I'm like, anything can happen. Any given Sunday. (laughs) Any given Sunday. Yeah, Yeah, he... I'm still upset about how he won. Like, I'm just like watching him win. I'm like, not like this. Not like this.
0: (laughs) Not like this. Hey, it wins a win. And, uh, I don't like. And I'm gonna say I didn't like it either. All right, I'm not gonna be like, oh, once such a double standard. If it was someone <laughs> else did that, he will be like, that's terrible. But Japan does it. Yeah, Japan. No, no, I think it's terrible too. Okay, I like seeing eat bones wasabi. I like seeing stuff happen.
1: Tactical. I think though, I I can understand be won by the shitty scores, uh, new scoring rules. But mm-hmm. I think in particular that one match Nagase won was he fell, the guy fell on his chest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even on the side and they gave him the score. So yeah. it was a coca <laughs> one co- with a coca. A
0: coca. <laughs> oh man. bringing it back to the old school right now. Yeah. So the last thing that happened, the last day of judo, they had the team event for the first time in the Olympics. Um, and at the end, guess what it came down to? It came down to Japan and France in the finals for the gold medal. Japan didn't do that. Well, if, just well, didn't they did got kind
1: of second place,
0: <laughs> yeah. But okay, oh, here's the funny thing, okay. People, if you want to go out and look for this, this is hilarious. Okay, so Japan lost, France took gold. We talked about that already a little bit. So it was the German team that took third. Mm-hmm. So there's this photo thing, I think it was like IGF or I don't know which judo website I was looking at. It's like I saw it on Instagram, they're all putting up the same photos, anyways. So it was Germany on the third medal, all smiles, happy, yay, yeah, we got this medal. Uh, the other third place team. What was the other third place team?
1: Was it Brazil or Korea? Usually it's one of those two. No, no, it wasn't Brazil or Korea. in The third place team. I didn't uh, watch the mixed teams yet. Whatever. So I it was the third was place good.
0: team again. Smiles. Yay! Happy. <laughs> and then, he, and then they pan over Japan. Stone face. Ugh. Like uh, it was the Abe brother and sister. They're happy. They're like smiling. They got two medals up. They're like, yeah, gold to silver. We're happy. <laughs> Everyone else just stone face. Just like pissed. Like yeah, <laughs> second place. First loser. And they go to France, and they're like, "Yeah, oh my God, woo, party!" (laughs) So it's just funny. Happy, happy, sad, happy.
1: (laughs) I heard it was good. I need to go back and watch it. But going back to what we said, no, I haven't had time. But going back to our last episode, like I have a TV, um, a YouTube TV subscription, Uh and it's still hard to get on the website to find. Like I know how to do it. It's just annoying. Like they really need to make it easier to find the events and watch it. It's just stupid.
0: Oh, yeah. So. Like me, what I was doing, like I told you before, like I just go on with my VPN. I just go on to this yeah. NBC Sports app and I just watch 30 minutes at a time and I watch the sports that I care about. You know, I watch all of, uh, I watched all of Judo. Um, I watched all of Taekwondo. I watched all of um, Karate there. I watched the finals and fencing on there. But even when it came to wrestling, I just watched wrestling and some more fencing. And... um what else did I watch? I whatever sports I watch. I watch wrestling and fencing. I just watched on the YouTube app with the highlights thing
1: mm-hmm. where you get to watch five minutes. I watched a bit the of the women's wrestling. Yeah, It was pretty yeah. interesting.
0: Japan kicked ass. It was funny because yeah. last at the Rio games, um, I believe Japan took three or four of the five mm-hmm. medals. God, I, I missed out. I like, oh, one messed up. He doesn't know exactly what it is. I think last year at Rio or four years ago at Rio, they only lost one division. They Mm -hmm. took everything else gold to one division. This year in Japan, the women's team took three medals, only lost two divisions, which is still great. Like, you don't think about Japanese female wrestlers doing so Mm -hmm. well. But you think about it. If they have good judo players, of course they have good grapplers. Mm -hmm. They're going to have good wrestlers. I mean, it's just going to go back and forth.
1: Sambo is pretty big in in, uh, Japan, too, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even uh, the last day one of the Japanese men uh took gold also. And it's just like yeah. I was like, oh oh I expect to see him in Ryzen in two years, you know, learn some <laughs> boxing. I'll see him in Ryzen. They're gonna be like the gold medalist from the Tokyo Games fighting in Ryzen or the UFC, who knows, maybe come Bellator.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we, we talked we already talked about how disappointed we are with the calls on and uh the Olympics and obviously as we only watched the first two Days or three yeah. days when during our last episode, but it got worse. I think over <laughs> over you know, the la- I know, rest of the.
0: I know you would Philippe for fresher and like I can't even watch this stuff. I was like, no, I think they're not okay. bad. I think. Go, let's not go great, back to go back bad. to the
1: Aaron Wolf match. Like, <laughs> how many times should that Korean guy happen? Shidoed out.
0: Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, in that match, and this is even Neil Adams. Okay, he should be out at this point now. Oh, I guess he like, said let him like keep four going. times. Yeah, and like, <laughs> this is like, you know he got that whisper in her ear. No more shidos. Keep it going. It's just like <laughs> let them you fight even it see
1: out. you even see in Aaron's face like <laughs> like, like come on come on in his ear
0: in the ref's ear it's like to the death. <laughs> and I but, bet um, it was because it was Japan versus Korea. Like we need a winner. We need a winner at this non-shido. one. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, as a Korean guy, if I was up there, I feel so ashamed that I was still up there. I just let them throw me. Just you know? to
0: be like, dude, I, I lost this match. Just throw me, man. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's what I would do. It's like uh, it's bullshit, but um, then you get probably get reprimanded, right?
0: <laughs> no, you make it look good. Make it look good, like Kata. You know, like, oh no, I'm over. Well,
1: well they reprimanded uh, what call it for taking a fall because they don't want to fight Israel, but that that's a different topic and um, a totally different thing. Yeah, but let's talk about um, kind of related to coaching. We we, well, we uh, talked. Uh,
0: let's talk about one more thing that okay. you brought up last time that i noticed that they put in almost all the combat sports is that a ref a ref a coach can put up a card if they don't agree with the thing yeah that's what i was going to say like oh that's, that's what you're going to bring up, okay, yeah. that's bring up. Uh, it's okay, kind of related
1: so. to coaching right yeah okay <laughs> yeah you okay. see so challenges like do, do you think we were talking about whether judo would have a good good to have a challenge system like but then kind of what i thought about was like well you can throw up a challenge but they don't really mean anything because they can easily just say like oh yeah that was a that was a score even though it was the front like we think it's a score they don't, they don't uh-huh. owe you an explanation um well,
0: the way they did it in um in rest i think they did it in all the sports actually i'm not 100 mm-hmm. sure where if you challenge and you get your challenge and it's you're correct they decide like okay yeah you're right on it you get your card back and you can challenge again but if they decide oh no it didn't work out eh, you get the x out they keep the card and you can't challenge again so it kind of it's not like you can just willy-nilly like i toss challenges up for every single uh, thing
1: i understand i'm just saying like they kind of for example back to the shido thing right we kind of he, mm-hmm. they kind of decided that there's not going to be shidos anymore <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you challenge them like hey that should have been a shido by now no like, but they would nope. make
0: them defend it though they would make them review it so and be th- like
1: go ahead that's yeah. that's why why so I, at first, when we talked about it last time, I thought it was going to be a, I, I think it was a good, would be a good addition. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at how it was enforced in Taekwondo. And then yeah. I real like the other day I was watching Rhythm Gymnastic and I randomly Ooh, saw, um, cause I had that, that streaming box outside, right? So I was watching Japanese channels and they were covering Rhythm Gymnastic. And then I saw that someone can um ask for a score breakdown. I forgot mm-hmm. the exact name for it but it's not it's not it's not exactly a challenge but you can actually request the judges to break down how they came up with the score mm-hmm. and here's the catch is that they can always reject it mm-hmm. <laughs> they can always just like reject it and be like no we we don't feel like it we don't feel like breaking <laughs> it down it, yeah so <laughs> it's kind of like what the hell is the point of having nah, it in the first nah, place nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but if they accept it then the the judges have to actually break down like where you messed up uh for this technique you did this and that scored you this points and this is how i came up with the the score just so you can't be like uh oh, i felt like that was a, a 90 point thing like you can't just do it by feel it has to be like uh objective it's the okay. argument that we all know it's subjective um so I, after i watched that i'm like that's gonna basically what happens if they implement that to judo too because same thing happened in taekwondo is that, that they they already do video reviews so if you mm-hmm. put up a challenge they'll just look at the videos but i don't see anything wrong with it okay yeah let's move on like
0: that it, that is a good point like majority of the time they would look at it and be like for karate and even wrestling stuff they will review it and it wouldn't be a score most of the time but there was a few times it was a score. But my thing was that, okay, so if we do that in IGF-Judo on a high level, they have the monitors, they have the referee there, it's easy to look up at it. But it's one of the things about the trickle-down effect that if IGF does it, it has to come down to all mm-hmm. of us. USA Nationals, we videotape everything already. Great. Winter Nationals, Summer Nationals. We videotape also there. Fine. Uh, Golden State Games, uh, California State Games and stuff, um, all those like medium California tournament or high-level mm-hmm. California tournaments. Some of them record, some of them don't. Like, I remember years ago, when I was at the San Jose Buddhist... Buddhist, uh, San Jose Buddhist Tournament... I can't remember the full name of it. Uh, I was really surprised because of how big of a tournament that was. Mm -hmm. There was no video review. And I just went to a smaller tournament out here in Southern California, and they had video review. But a big tournament in the Bay Area like that had no video review.
1: I think think they're prepping for Olympics. That's what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And even for... Well, again out here not we have a big judo community out here even at some of our smaller tournaments just our winter national, not winter national our uh, spring or fall nanka tournaments i think we have video review at those ones that's a well. very
1: recent thing like i think yeah. when i first moved here like four years ago they still had the chair refs and i think yeah. the last within the last two or three years that's when they started having video cameras at some of the tournaments
0: but the thing about like smaller tournaments that can do it, you have to have video there, or else you have to have refs in the corner, like we used to have in back in the days, like two more refs on each side, one ref in the middle. Mm-hmm. And you have to bring them up, okay, talk. Hey, so what did you think of this throw? I don't know, was a good throw, I don't know, it look a bad throw. And you have to talk about it. Where video, if you have video, easy. You watch it, yep. look at it, do it again. We can't just be like, okay, which parent recorded this match? Let me look at your yep. cell phone real quick.
1: Yeah, so at, again, at the IJF level, I, I don't think the challenge is going to do much because they kind of already decided already what's going to, what something is, mm-hmm. um, at the local level. Um, I, I mean, I've been to USA nationals and I've watched a really bad call happen. Actually, it was a, a match with Tenry and, um, I think it was sport judo, like the other guy, the guy from sport judo from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and his co-
0: people know what match that is. Now they're going to look it up and we're
1: going to bring it shit I don't remember what the bad call was. I just remember at the time I saw it, it was bad. So the coach like told his athlete to sit, sit, stand on the mat, not get off. Cause oh. we learned this in the coaching clinic. Like if you get off the mat, it's over. Like doesn't yeah. matter whether it was a bad call or not. So he told him stay yeah. on the mat, do not get off. And then they called the head ref over and they watched the, um, they watched the replay multiple times. And then the guy's still on the mat and you are like, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, I, I guess you can go both ways, uh, but I, I think the call should stand. We'll like submit this for reviews, just so that we don't make the same mistake next time. That was like that was the <laughs> that was it. Like yeah, the guy was still on the mat. It wasn't like some weird thing where it was an epon or something. I think it was a uh, argument about um, a shido on the edge or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember, but yeah, it, the coach was raising hell. Like he was being yeah, kind of. I-
0: I've seen some stuff like that before. Like upfront, I've seen a guy yeah. out here in LA. It was, it was doing a big tournament. I think it was at the um, Mohica fall or Mojica spring tournament that they do there. And this kid did not like the, did not like the call, did that. He sat in the ring and stuff, got mad and they started to like, get him off. He like, st- he did like the Mongolian. He took yeah. off his judo gi, was throwing it down the mat, took off his belt. And I was like, yeah. keep your pants on, son. Keep your pants on at least. <laughs> And his coach and his like all the uh, I say it was all the Armenians or all just yelling. I think it was Armenian versus Armenian fight too. It was like two Armenians yeah. going at each other from different clubs. And I was just like, I staying there and I was like, let them fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a local small local tournament versus like USA nationals. There, yeah, there's something. It's just it's different. I don't think it's worth it. But I, I, the point of what I said was like they had a video review. The head coach and came over, admitted that. They might have messed up, but was just like, "Oh, we'll we'll fix it next time." Yeah. So, kind of reminds us of, of okay, I'm not gonna say it, but <laughs> i to <was gonna> make <laughs> make a make a say something about our elections because that's basically what happens in some places is that they prove that they messed up and they'll like say, "Oh, we'll make sure it doesn't happen again next time." And obviously, it happens yeah.
0: again. So yeah, it the next time. Well, it's one of those things where how i feel is that how we do things at um any tournament any i'm not gonna say it's just mm-hmm. an anca thing or i go to northern california it's the refs they're there. i think they have a great job you know it's a, it's a thankless job and they're there all day if you think it's bad being up being a competitor or a parent and waiting for your kid to compete all day imagine being a ref being on the mat all day being yelled at by
1: people being told so, that you don't know what you're seeing all day long i don't and, totally agree with that because we said that in a coaching play i didn't for my say point, anthony let it <laughs> my point. Okay. one of my things
0: to fix this and i've talked about this before and this is, this is what i talked about before instead of just doing all the kids first how about we do half and half we start with the adults on two mats or they start on doing mat, that in some tournaments. Kids. some some yeah. but not all and it's like do the kids on two mats since they're the biggest group here do kids on two mats do teenagers on one mat and start adults on one mat that way at least you have them at their best point at the early day in the morning because how mm-hmm. it goes is that it will be the adults last or the teenagers last and stuff or the, at the end of the day they're tired you're tired and they're just calling like what things would be like a coca they'd be like oh equal and be like uh, no sir that was like a coca you no, see not, that I'm all crazy. the time yeah. i'm tired i want to get home. Really bad equal
1: yep.
0: and it's done it's like it's like i'm wasting my time and that's why people don't want to compete like at least local tournaments like i don't want to compete yep. if i'm gonna be there all day waiting just for bad call because a guy wants to go home because a guy or a girl whoever kid his parents want to go sometimes you mm-hmm. have these youth refs also and their parents want him to go home it's like oh whatever call it that call it a day
1: yeah so i agree to a certain extent when it's a coaching clinic they're like refs don't get paid or volunteer based like they get yelled at all the time. Actually, I don't think they get yelled at all the time, but they get yelled at more often, more than they should is what, what they should say. Um, mm. For the most part, most people are respectful to the refs or they'd be like, come on, that wasn't a Shido or that wasn't a Yippon, but they wouldn't be like, go get your eyes checked. Like, why don't you go <laughs> kill yourself? Like, they, they don't, want it like be, it's not that level of uh, stuff that I've seen, right? Mm. And I don't totally agree that you don't, they don't get anything in return because I actually know a few people that got got their show done via refereeing, refing. Well, yeah. So they are getting something in return, mm-hmm. and I still appreciate it because I would never do it. I don't, mostly because I don't agree with how the refing is being done. Not because of, uh, not because I don't appreciate refing, but yeah. So that's I I I just don't agree that they're not totally getting something in return so
0: no but it's like anything judo if you go practice not practice but if you go to a tournament work a table ref yeah. or do things assist you'll get points towards your black belt and that's just yeah. how it is because not everyone you hey, next that's what
1: you're you're not just shodan's. like that's how you move up too
0: yeah you can do that which there was actually a member of our dojo that i thought was going to go that route and then I know it just stopped doing refing. I don't. I never really asked them why they stopped refing. They're just like out of nowhere. They're really into it, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh cool. He's gonna be like a refing guy who know the rules. Be fantastic, awesome. And it's out of nowhere. Yeah, I got tired of it. I don't want to ref anymore. And I was like, oh, sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing is, you can know the rules, but then you realize they're not inconsistent. They're not consistent in the calls.
0: No, well, with us in judo, yeah. they change every four years, yeah. anyways. Like we're gonna do a video on that probably in a few months. About actually the end of the year, most likely that's when they'll come out. You
1: don't. You don't need. To do refing to understand the rules though, so that's the thing like philippe mentioned in coaching clinic you can't go on, go on the igf website and they have like these six hours long coaching seminars yes. refereeing seminars that you can look up and where they review every single like gray area call and why it's being called this way and stuff so you're a score? i did i did it twice so uh yeah it's dumb but still it's good to go through a it. score
0: a uh, no score which <laughs> one is it? a score and no score Come on, people. We are here to talk about this. A score and no score. I love that guy. You're retired, too. So I yeah. wonder where that next year's video is going to be. But, yeah, it's usually a three-day clinic, and each video is, is like, three to six hours long. Mm-hmm. And they go review stuff. They watch videos they talk about. And I watch it every year just as a good coach mm-hmm. to know what's going on, know what changes. It's one of those things where it may change at the highest level, but they might not change at the local level. It's like, when those, yep. like some weird tournaments and stuff. I don't want to bring that stuff up into this video, but... Yeah, I don't want to get into it. I'm not gonna do, <laughs> do it. No, I'm not, not gonna vent. <laughs> so, is there anything else about like the scorings, the stuff that came from the Olympics that you want to talk about, or do you want to just start talking about into the mental aspect of competing?
1: Yeah. So and compete. the Olympics. Yeah, I think we to, to have a segue into it. We there's a video that went viral of uh, the the German. Women's athlete getting slapped in the face and shook by a coach <laughs> and the coach got reprimanded and um the the athletes like I, I asked him to do that. That's like our our thing. Like yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like makes IJF look stupid. It, but um well,
0: it's yeah, a dumb ahead. thing in my opinion because it's because it's not because it wasn't a judo player. It wasn't a grappler. It wasn't a striker or anybody that does martial arts. They didn't complain about this. It was someone that's a casual viewer came across judo one day and because of the metal match, they had the camera on them the entire time, saw it mm-hmm. on YouTube or live or on TV, what it was. And saw it and was like, Oh, how dare he hit another woman? He shook her like that and then slapped her. How dare he? If you've ever been to a wrestling match, a karate <laughs> judo MMA you see that stuff happen all the time. I'm not saying that we violently shake each other all the time, but you <laughs> see the MMA all the time. People get into the ring. They do the thing. They put the Vaseline on them, give their hugs and stuff. And of course, like, all right, you ready to go? Boom, boom. It's not hard slaps. It's yeah. just like little wake up, ghost slaps. I had a wrestling coach a long time ago. That would always be like, all right, guys, they just slap us in the back. And it's like, Oh God. Okay. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> just,
1: well, it's, it's funny because if you watch sumo, they do some of the weirdest pre-match rituals too, like, uh, yeah. slapping each other. Like, they have their dojo stable mates, um, mm-hmm. slap them in the ass. Yeah. Uh, get a big palm strap in the butt right slap there, you know, their, slap their backs, like, uh-huh. giving them so they see the, Mm-hmm. During the fight, you see palm marks on their backs, slap them in the face. Mm-hmm. He see, I see this Tochinoshin guy uh, try and puke, like, like, just gag in the corner. I don't know why he does that. He's like, <laughs> yeah. like, right before he goes out. At, uh,
0: Vitor Belfort would always say that before all his fights, he would always throw up right before his fights. Right before he goes huh. out, he would throw up every time. Like me, before I go out, there, I always like do this big slap thing. I look like yeah. a freaking hocket dance when I go out there before <laughs> I compete. I slap my front, my leg, my back, my leg, my chest and stuff. Like I do all this shake out. <laughs> I was like, like, I'm dancing out there. But I, that's just something that I do. You
1: know, yeah, I'm so the dancing. reason we're talking about that is because we want to talk about mental preparation for mm-hmm. uh, tournaments. And I think everyone, oh. after a while, discovers their own little process like um my first judo tournament, I just remember I was like, Okay, I gotta drink waters at, at, at this time and then stop drinking water at this time and then eat only nuts and stuff. But I waited so <laughs> long I eventually just fell asleep and all that plan just fell apart and I'm like, Oh, I'm up, it's my turn. I <laughs> just go in and <laughs> go up there and, and fight. So um it's kinda hard to have a pro a mental preparation process if you don't have a consistent tournament experience let's just call it that Mm -hmm. in in america you don't know when the hell you went i mean one of the one of the tournaments i mentioned that i'd waited 13 hours i waited in at eight and then i didn't fight until like seven or eight at p.m at night like Mm -hmm. it it was nuts so what what do you do Juan? do you have do you have a process
0: so i go to the ground i grab some dirt and i rub it in my
1: hands first (laughs)
0: Huh. And then I have Kit plays Glory to rope. No, I'm joking. Is that from a Predator that, movie? Like that's from Gladiator. That's from Gladiator. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no, what I do is, and my thing, I get it from wrestling. It's like again, like I grew up most of my life wrestling, mm-hmm. so all my things come from wrestling for the most part. When I go to karate tournaments and stuff, it was fun and play for me. I really didn't have a ritual that I do when I was younger with that, but wrestling was more serious. Like even though, it was like, what. Karate, I thought, is like as fighting, where wrestling, I thought, is like a sport. But I, try, but the way I prepared for them were totally opposite. You would be more than – so when I prepare for wrestling, I am not. I like working out up to the day of the tournament stuff because of wrestling, trying to cut weight. So even now, I will still go take a long run, like a mile, sometimes two-mile run or jog the day before a judo tournament. And it's one of those things, like I didn't think about till later, is like about cutting weight. And I talked th- I about this before when we had um, um, we had Richard on. I made a joke about it, but it's kind of serious. I thought about it mm-hmm. more later. It's this thing like I'm going to have to make a sacrifice to perform the best of my abilities. So I'm sacrificing my sweat, my body, and stuff. I'm giving a sacrifice to the gods <laughs> to perform well. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of tapered off that. But up to like a few years ago, I was still like doing a mile or two mile run jog mm-hmm. the day before a tournament because at least here, like it's a big if it's a big tournament, I can weigh in the day before. But if it's a local smaller tournament, you have to weigh in the day of. So I was just get to think if I just stay home and I don't do anything, I'm just like watching TV. I get this like nervous energy of just like, mm-hmm. I'm keen to compete tomorrow, I need to do something. So I just go for that jog to get rid of the energy. So I go for my long jog. I usually jog too, and this is dumb because people might think it's stupid because I'm Roman Catholic. I jog to the church and I go to the candles and I was this is-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is so like good <laughs> <Mid-Doc I>, saints. <laughs> no, but I don't, I just think,
0: oh, well you pray for it, you pray for win. No, no, I pray to do the best that I can, not to get hurt and for my opponents not to get hurt. And I did that for all my, most of my wrestling matches, all my MMA fights, and almost all my judo, big Judo tournaments. And I not, I'm not praying like, oh, I'm praying for God to give me the win. I'm sacrificing no, I'm my going. fingers and stuff, <laughs> cut my hand, cut across, oh, blood across me. No, I just, I just pray to do the best of my abilities, not to get hurt, and for my opponents not to get hurt that's what i always do but that's kind of like one ritual i do that's a regular thing and then a the day of the tournament, i like to be by myself and stuff and listen to music or be by myself and do things because it is tough when you get going like you're coaching somebody yeah. then you're going to compete coaching somebody to compete, but as a guy and older especially with judo i hate to say it, but it's come kind of like a job to me where it's mm-hmm. like ah it's whatever it's another tournament especially with a smaller tournament that's another tournament where i get nervous more i get more nervous now coaching people because i want them to do well i'm like Get off the! I'll do it for you. Get off the mat. Let me fight. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! I'll fight it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just my thing. Like I, I need to compete. I still need to do some of the day before. I like to go to church and pray. Sometimes I do some that I don't nowadays. Um, and that's it. Like I the whole thing about like mentally focusing and like breathing and think about what you're going to do next day. I try to do that. I try to do the visualization thing, mm-hmm. but I'm not big on it. I'm not really big on like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do Taitoshi. I'm going to go in there do my Tomonage or Harai Goshi or Makikomi. I'm going to go in there, dig into the mat. I'm going to turn them over, and get the pin. I'm not big in that visualization type of stuff, That's but that's me. That's me. I don't, I go in there and I do what I can do. I do what I know to do. Yeah, you don't, you, But you yourself, you don't have any like rituals or things you do. So your s- lucky socks.
1: <laughs> I, I think I'm still like figuring, trying to figure it out and try different things. Uh, yeah, you're too
0: old to figure it out now. You should know it by now. Because
1: my, my injuries kind of affected it, right? Um, uh-huh. But in the beginning, like I said, I didn't really have a ritual. I'd try to plan everything out. It didn't work that way because of how judo tournaments are run here. But then eventually I just started uh, meditating. Um, mm-hmm because one of the tournaments I just had this constant urge to pee, but like nothing would like come out, you know? <laughs> so I would always go to the restroom and try and pee and nothing would come out. And oh, wow. um, so I was just, and I noticed my heart rate was going up from being mm-hmm. nervous and stuff. So I would just like start meditating and that would mm-hmm. that helped a lot because I noticed one of my matches I went out and I was like already, my, I was so nervous that half of my stamina was gone already. So mm-hmm. um, meditating worked for me and um, maybe taking a nap, you know? The whole yeah. right. warm-up thing only works if I know exactly when I'm going to go. So mm-hmm. if I they have a good um, system where they know you're coming up, then I would go to the warm-up area and mm-hmm. run around, do some wichikomis and push-ups and sit-ups and stuff just to get the, the blood flowing. But otherwise, I don't really have anything anything to do because I know I used to like scout out other people, other of my opponents, what they do and all that kind of stuff. But I yeah. realized things never go as planned. I'm just not at that level where I can come up with a plan and just, like, stick to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, one time I was like, okay, I'm going to do Uchimata this whole tournament and try that for two tournaments. And obviously, mm-hmm. I got Urenage because I was doing Uchimata at the wrong time because mm-hmm. I was so focused on doing it that I didn't, like, look at the other things that was there. And on the second tournament, I was like, you know what? It's not working out. I'm going to switch. So I just did whatever felt right at the time and I won all, yes. all the rest of my matches. So, yeah, yeah so that... Some people go in with the plan works, some people it doesn't. So I think you just have to compete more and uh, figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of want to talk about me as a coach, like when I coach kids and also some of the the beginners, what we do. um, One of the very first tournaments we went to has a warm up area. Um, not all of them has warm up barrier right you, we know you know that, but some of them do, and you mm-hmm. can see like how nervous some of the beginners or the kids get when they look at these other kids they're doing like these like super super elaborate drills and mm-hmm. I realized at the at that point that it was not for certain athletes that were doing that we I didn't want to take them to the warm up area to psych them out, so it was better to just you might take get them nervous. outside. yeah Yeah, take them outside talk to them um practice some grip fighting with them like i put on a gi and i have them practice grip fighting because this is my personal belief is that the novice level most people focus so much on throws they don't really do grip fighting and if you teach your beginners or kids grip fighting it gives them a leg up in a tournament Mm because most people can't even uh remember what happens right so
0: (laughs) it's all a blur
1: yeah grip fighting this time spent for grip fighting for a competitor gives you really good short term returns I think but uh, in the long term I think focusing too much on grip fighting is not good for you so
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's um it's weird to try to figure out that's one of the things why i'm not big at like Philippe voice talks about you want to get a good warm-up in. you want to get a good 20-minute warm-up in like you feel like you had your first match already mm-hmm. and it's tough and you're not going to know who you're going to fight and for yep. me it's like i don't want to waste that and that's just a mental that's a mental thing for me well, same i don't want to waste i don't want to waste that energy when i can use that energy on the mat instead so i kind of almost use my first match as my warm-up match which sounds terrible <laughs> I sounds s- uh,
1: yeah i see what he means though because your body doesn't move the way you want on the first uh-huh. match so
0: but w- But when i'm there coaching people i'm always like okay you warmed up are you stretched do something when yeah. i'm there coaching doing so i'm telling you to do this do that do that and then when it's myself it's like i don't do any of that stuff <laughs> that's terrible like when we went to last we went to vegas for the usa nationals mm-hmm. I didn't have a chance to go run or nothing. So I remember that night, like you went upstairs. I was gambling for I was terrible. Yeah. I was gambling. <laughs> and you went upstairs. I swear, after I was done, I made some money and stuff. I didn't lose. I made money, guys. I'm, I'm serious. I swear, I circled around that damn casino like 50 times just trying to get my nervous <laughs> energy out. And I tried to find their chapel also. I couldn't find one. But I was just like just circling around that place just trying to get my nervous energy out <laughs> the night before because I couldn't jog. I couldn't go running anywhere. It's Las Vegas. I didn't go.
1: Yep. Which we weren't great. staying at the nice area either. So,
0: ah, I was fine. We're a bunch of judo players. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about the other mental aspects of preparing for the match? Like, how do you think the Japanese felt? Like, we talked about this before in the last match. Like, they're in Japan, doing a Japanese sport, representing their country mm-hmm. at the heart of the judo revolution, of like what brought judo to America at the Budokan. We're back here again. And that's why a lot of them did so well. And even when I think about the pressure of people, Think about the pressure. Like you, you already have that all pressure on mm-hmm. you. You represent your country and all these things. Now think of the Abe's, You know,
1: there's no, you know? there's not many spectators though. That's the big difference for this.
0: But you still had. I'll give them that. There wasn't a lot of spectators. They would not have like all Japan rooting them on the entire time. They having more pressure on them. Mm-hmm. But they still had their teammates out there. They still had other countries watching them and stuff mm-hmm. like in the in the stands. But you're fighting, representing your country, and you're like the, So the sister, she went up first got mm-hmm. gold okay now you're the brother my sister got gold i have to get gold imagine yeah. the pressure on him i say out of all the judo players that fought this week he probably had the most pressure on him he had the match he got on the team i know people were mad about it i know you were upset about it i was happy about it got on the team your sister fights the day before no she fought the same day they on the same, same day, day. Right? same day yeah they yeah. found the same day she has her match has a match right after each other also. So your sister fights, she gets gold, then you're up right after. I can't imagine the mental struggle at that point. Yeah. What you're thinking about, how you have to focus, how you have to block everything out to think about your match and you fighting. Could you imagine that? Just think about that. Okay. Think about that for a second.
1: Yeah, so <sighs> people aren't go- are going to – what I think is that they've been competing so often, so many times since they were kids that for the most part, they're used to it already. Mm-hmm. And especially since there's no crowd, I think it kind of played to their advantage. Um, I can see that. Can definitely see that. I think the most nervous person there was actually Ono. From like mm-hmm. my, my assessment, you can see it in him. Mm-hmm. He was fighting so different and he was so careful the whole time. He's not as dominating as he usually was. Not because he wasn't like good i just think mm-hmm. he was nervous and um he was trying to play it off And all the
0: things i just said all the things yeah, I said right now he was
1: trying i think i didn't think it affected abe's that much but ono was the most in my in my opinion was the most nervous person there um because mm-hmm. he he's trying to keep that stone face look he does all the time i think that's how he handles it all the time mm-hmm. and he is kind of cocky and he he <laughs> should be because he's good and yeah this time, I just feel like when he walked in the mat, I didn't get that cocky atmosphere from him. I got mm-hmm. that, like, I can't lose. I'm here to, like, win. I got it, but I'm not going to, I'm going to be careful. And you can see it in his judo, he was really, really careful and didn't want anything to happen. So, um.
0: You might know this better than I do. Do you know anything about their preparation or their mental thing, like what they do to get to get ready?
1: Yeah. So I think what they do is very, like (laughs) what they do is totally different from obviously what we do at at a recreational level, but even an American level is different because as an American, as like a smaller judo country, you don't have the resources and you're just kind of like, okay, what's this guy going to do? What is his style? You're thinking all these things running through your head, but I know the Japanese team has like these advanced scout scouts and uh, analytics. Like they have these these systems that basically run numbers and be like this guy like finishes x amount of his techniques and chokes or uchimato or whatever and he likes entering from his right side at this time or this person like goes a golden score and gets tired after x amount of time so they have all this work done for them they don't have to think about it and they trust in the the scouts and the the, mm-hmm. the data that they get and versus I know um some guy on reddit mentioned he used to do that for kayla harrison and he scouts and run all the numbers and it's like one of the hardest things he's ever done in his life okay and credit to him but if i was on the usa team i would like kind of question what the quality of the reports because of the lack of resources um and history of doing this kind of number crunching and data gathering mm-hmm. and that will still be in the back of my mind but i feel like if you as a Japanese athlete knows that that much resources and history and manpower has gone into gathering that data, that's like a huge load off of my mind. And I would just have to okay. trust the data, trust what they tell me and focus on what's ahead of me, you know?
0: How to get my moves to work against yeah. their best moves, to look out for what they do and do my style against them. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like also... It's like in them. It's like the scene. You ever seen the movie Best of the Best? Uh-huh. Team USA versus team. It's like that scene where they're all in the classroom and they're like giving them files. Here is so-and-so. He does this, <laughs> that, and that. And you get the grand prize. Yep. You get blah, blah, blah. It's like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't have spent hours, spend as much time watching the videos. I'd imagine you just focus on your own judo, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then you'd also be able to find a training partner that fights the same yeah, style but, as during, yeah. say that,
0: like how when you fight mma you try to get a guy that's your sparring partner it's similar to the style you're going to fight in japan yep. they have so many members so many people doing judo do you think mm-hmm. they do a lot of that it's like okay you're going to go against let go say you're going to go with sing reiner you know he has that great uchimata yep. so you're going to look for a big guy that's going to just do uchimata to you you're going to try to avoid it or did uchimata first or whatever
1: yeah and tanaki beat uh daria Beloded um the same way i think because. Blooded other than her sankaku on, her, on the floor, she does this this really um uh, sotomaki komi thing all the time, it catches everyone. And yeah. you can see that Tonaki has prepped for it and trained against it. And I think that's one of the things about Olympics is that the talent pool is smaller because every country mm-hmm. only gets to send one person, yeah. And um, you kind of know who they're going to send already for the most part for most places, like. You know Ono is going to be in 73. You know Dari Belode is going to be in here. So everyone's eyeing you. And I think that kind of contributed to the stress that Ono had that I saw. And you, you see that.
0: Yeah, everyone's training against me. Everyone's
1: training for my stuff. Yeah. If you watch the, Jap, the Japanese broadcast, you see Ono break down afterwards. Like he kind of just starts crying and hugging Koste Inoue. And it's like a side of him that you rarely see in the in, um, in, how he um presents himself and he just you can just kind of see distress relief coming out of him and everyone was eyeing at beating ono so everyone's like analyzing his style and everything and you can see how he's he knows everyone's out there to get him and mm-hmm. that's the that's the pressure of a champion i don't think it's uh the pressure of the japanese olympics i think it was the pressure of being the defending olympic and world champion
0: mm-hmm. i know because it was such a um... He lost in a team tournament, right? He got thrown by... He got the, thrown
1: by the, the German guy, yeah.
0: Was oh, the German? Okay, yeah. And everybody yeah. made a huge deal about it. It's like, oh my God, oh, no, got thrown. He got thrown. It was such a... I I didn't prep for it. Stuff. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know what this guy was doing. Where's yeah. the file? Where's the file? <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> But yeah, I know people make a huge deal about it. I'll say the thing with Teddy Reiner when he, when he got thrown, you know, people made a huge deal about that. But there's certain guys, you expect them just to win all the time because how good they are. But it's that mental aspect of it, like, how do you keep your mind clean and going and ready to fight and not have a freaking nervous breakdown on the mat. Or like, you don't see it in judo that often off the mat, but you'll sometimes see it in MMA and boxing and kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Where guys will have the nervous breakdown during a match and will just start crying or just stop moving. Like there was an old fight. Um, I think it was a Lewis fight. I don't remember where he was fighting. But this guy who's fighting just was not re- mentally there mm-hmm. and was just crying. He would not sit down during the breaks and then he would go like out the ring and in the ring. I think it was like really weird. And Lennox was just like, what are we doing? What- what's going on? And they just stopped the match after a while. I was like, yeah, just mm-hmm. stopped it the first time when he's doing all <laughs> this weird stuff. <laughs> but fighting's a different aspect. It's just, it's a different thing because it's one of the things in these sports where, and it's what I love about combat sports. It's an individual sport. It is you versus me. If I lose, it is on me. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I win, it is on me. Where if I'm playing basketball or baseball or football, like oh well we didn't get that touchdown. Oh well my guy got sacked or I my friend didn't hit the three point or whatever. It's like it's a team event, and when it's all on you, you, you can't blame someone else. You can't like can't blame a guy like oh well he he didn't he struck out. You know when it's just you. Yeah. It is just you, and that's such a mental thing. that people don't think about, and what I do love about combat sports is also one of the hardest things about combat sports when you lose it's all you when you win it's all you
1: yeah so i i luckily i'm not one of those people that break down in the middle of the match and mm-hmm. the first match like you said is always the hardest cuz you're nervous right but then as yeah. you as i get going i'm just like in in the in the fighting mode already i don't really think about all the nervous stuff goes away um, what i like about it is that it simulates a real fight so mm-hmm. In a self defense aspect, we mentioned it in the self defense videos. For me, that's the, the closest thing to practicing for self defense you can do is competing, mm-hmm. because of the nervousness, because of the all the variables that can happen, because you don't know what the other person is going to do. Like that's just like the epitome of it. Um, but I do have a mental block now from the injury. Like I think like yes, I, yeah, the, the injury mental block is hard hard to get past. And mm-hmm. um, for some people. I mean, you said it doesn't really happen in Judo, but I think in Judo, a lot of people go up on Instagram or Facebook and try and look up all their, everyone in a weight class when the brackets get posted up. And if that psychs you out, I don't think you should do that. So, I mean, I I guess winning is is important. (laughs) (laughs) Winning is important, but I think um, polishing your own Judo is even more important if it's not your goal to be like a top level competitor. I think it's better to get second or third place and learn more about like dealing with these surprises and mm-hmm. how to mentally prepare yourself better for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's better doing that than getting first place because you pre analyzed everyone and like developed a strategy to counter them. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, I,
0: I'm a little surprised hearing that from you because you're so analytic about stuff. I'm kind of surprised that you're not one of these guys that, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying every single person in your division.
1: I'm actually i don't do that because i psych myself out so it's mm-hmm. counterproductive for me um but i'm saying for you maybe it works for you like if i tell you this guy loves Tanya otoshi or whatever to don't do a hip throw or something like that mm-hmm. then yeah you might win but then you're you're, you're you you kind of got a hand up you, you know what i'm saying like you kind of yeah, like got yeah. knowledge beforehand so if winning is important for you then yeah go ahead do that but like i said for me if i if i was able to get a hand up from that i would not like that because it's not me right it's mm-hmm. me getting a um advantage over my opponent so for me that's not helping my judo that's mm-hmm. just me being strategic it's kind of s- similar to developing shido strategies to shido out your your opponent like you know yeah. that's not good judo in my opinion so mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's it's a weird thing because you if i was fighting if i was having a like um a rivalry match or a versus match against one person i could totally understand seeing what they do or what they like but at a tournament where i'm going to fight three four five people depending on how big tournament is i'm not going to look up every damn person i fight if i know them i know some them. people or, do that <laughs> or well the big thing is and i used to i had a teammate a while, uh, while ago before you came to dojo we were kind of similar mm-hmm. weight classes and you'd be like alright Juan you're gonna face that guy watch what he does okay now see he has a good Uchimata so watch out for Duchimata. Uchimata I'm like shit I don't care I'm gonna do what I do that's a, I'm gonna do what I do out there but it's, it's true that you get the guys out there like okay they watch every match even if they don't look up the guy mm-hmm. they watch every match that person has or who I'm gonna face to try to figure out what did they like to do what they they not like to do and I don't know that to me is like it's too much pressure it's more that mm-hmm. I go out there I'm gonna do what I do that's just how I am if I took it more, if I was getting paid more, like being mm-hmm. professional, like I said, it was a one on one match, then I'll take yeah. it super more seriously. Yeah. But at a tournament, I'm going to go out there and do what I do. And that's kind of my style of judo. I don't, I have ideas of what I'm going to do, but I'm going to use what you give me.
1: Yeah. And so one, one, another example is, you know, Mustafa from our, from our dojo has a crazy good Uchimata, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't look up ways of defending it because I know I'm not going to be able <laughs> to stop it. You know, <laughs> like he's <laughs> so much better than me that uh-huh. instead of, like, instead of spending time figuring out a way to counter his Uchimata just so that it works on him or someone that fights like him, mm-hmm. I think it was better just to improve my own judo, you know, my, my sense of balance, my entries, my grip fighting, like, other aspects of it. So I see it, I see tournaments as a, a tool to improve my judo and not necessarily as, like, like getting a gold medal is not that important to me, so.
0: Mm-hmm. I know to you it's not, to me it is. I love shiny <laughs> I love trophies too. There's a trophy <laughs> term. I'm like, oh, trophy. I love that.
1: <laughs> as long as I get, it sounds cliche, but as long as I get away from a tournament un, uninjured, ironically, and um, learning something, then I, I'm happy, even if I don't place. And I mean, Someone, there's tournaments where I didn't place at all, and those are the ones that I learned the most from versus mm-hmm. fighting the same guy in my weight class, best of three, and up getting gold. Like, I didn't learn jack shit other than how to beat that one <laughs> no, guy. So, you
0: learn how to be dominant <laughs> and how to win. All right. Now, here's another aspect what, about things that are happening. What do you think about sports psychology now? I know a lot of MMA fighters, a lot of boxers now, kickboxers are now getting into sports yep. psychology of like, why am I getting this mental block? Why is I can get so far into something? And then when I get to this point, I lose. Or if I, I get in this position, I lose. Do you think that's something to talk to somebody? So you, should you talk to like your coach about Yeah. It? Or should you, you just de- go directly to a sports psychologist?
1: So here's the thing. There's a lot of coaches that should not be giving sports psychology or mental advice, <laughs> right? So, oh my God. <laughs> basically, know your, All right. know your limits. Don't like... For example, if I see a if I see a competitor get super nervous, like I said at the warm up area, mm-hmm. then obviously the, I notice walking them outside and like doing other stuff with them on the corner is better. But and I'm not going to go him,
0: that you like shake them really hard and slap. Yeah,
1: I'm not going to go Meditation. in and be like, "Oh, you need to meditate and um, <laughs> you need to visualize like you winning." And like that, that's I think it's out, outside of my expertise, and you shouldn't mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff um, without knowing the effects. Um, But definitely is gaining traction like you said in mma and stuff and it's at the same time i think i mentioned it before it's kind of like uh sports science and diets for competitions it's kind of at what we call in um not 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 diets i'm talking about supplements they're kind of at um an alchemy stage of chemistry basically like Ah, you know how you know, like how alchemy back then, we, they kind of have it figured out, but they don't really know why and they can't explain it and they just kind of uh-huh. keep testing shit out. I feel like sports psychology and supplements, sub, sports psychology is even like further behind than supplements, I think. Um, we kind of know what works and we mm-hmm. kind of know that it's good to have it, but they don't know the ins and outs of it and what's good and what's bad. So when you do use it, you have to find the right psychologist that, produces results for you because there isn't like a set thing that everyone agrees on with scientific evidence that works so it's kind of like a try it if it works for you then keep doing it kind of thing so
0: well i think it's one of those things of where you just talk to somebody about something and they listen Mm -hmm. to you which a good coach should do and we talked about that in philippe's class also he talked about like no excuse me listen to your student if your student's telling you something, you have to listen to them. It's not, it's, I know I say this a lot. I say it in practice. But there's a difference between an owie and an injury. And so you can, if it's an owie, you can still practice if it's an injury. you got to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing by being, you got to be a man. you got to be mentally strong. you got to fight through everything. But if someone's telling you they have a mental block or something's bugging them, you can't just brush it off nowadays. We, we yep. know that now that's not it. That's not a good thing. You know, people yeah. get discouraged. People quit. People end up like having mental breakdowns because of stuff like that. You have to listen to what you're, Person is what your student is telling you. And if someone came to me with something like that, and because I'll put this out there, I have had to go into anger management therapy. You know, I want to be like such a cool guy. When Juan gets angry, Juan gets angry. <laughs> All right. Juan breaks things and people and stuff. So when you go to a sports psychologist or a therapist and stuff, it's someone that you can talk to and listen to you. And it's not mm-hmm. always about them giving you advice on how to do it. It's also about just getting stuff off your chest. Mm-hmm. And that's what one, one of my therapists told me that it's, it's just talking and I'm here to listen to you. And that's how yeah. a coach has to be. Cause I know coach sometimes always wants to be, Oh, well let's talk, like every single word you say or sentence you say, they're going to come back with it. Oh, this, Oh, that somebody, it's not about that. So it's just, they want to talk to somebody. I know it's open to speak to somebody. And the coach, you have to know like when to shut up and when to talk.
1: Yeah. I I haven't seen a therapist before. And so obviously I'm not an expert at it, but um, I, like, I know a friend that sees a therapist and they also do sports psychologists, psychology on the side for like local, I think, NHL athletes or NBA athletes, I think. But obviously all these big teams are spending money on it. So there's an effect, but um, I also think like for example, your real life stuff can affect your performance in sport. Like if you're going through a divorce or not doing well in school, your people are bullying you, whatever, like then that's not something that a sports psychologist can help with. I think you need to like seek other avenues of uh, help to well, that, those well, external mean, problems.
0: If you're going through something like that and you talk to your coach, entire coach,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like if you're going through a divorce, your coach shouldn't be like, okay, you need to compete this weekend at the winter nationals, or you need to compete this weekend at the freaking uh, fall spring tournament. Whatever it's going to be the small thing.
1: You need to delete Facebook, it, hit the gym, sign up for Tinder. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it's like no, <laughs> you should be like, okay, let's talk about how you how are you doing. Like, you just want to come to practice and work out. It's all right. If you just want if you want to compete, yeah. I'll help you. But it's the thing about listening to what your person needs. And if it's a child that's being like, ah, I'm being bullied since say, by yeah. the other kids, or I'm being bullied in school, it'll be like, well, why are you being bullied? Like, this is one thing that when I was a kid. I'm a light Mexican, all right? I wasn't Mexican enough for the Mexican kids and if so they're like, oh, once is Mexican's funny? You also know, my like, heck, I know. Okay? Like, I wasn't Mexican enough for the Mexican kids. I wasn't white enough for the white kids. That's why I kind of got along with the Asian kids more because they didn't judge me and stuff. So I had my own bully thing. So I understand why some people bully. You know, I got bullied because my name is Juan Rodriguez. You know, you don't look like a Juan Rodriguez. But what am I supposed to look like? Big mustache, pistola. So... It's it's when you talk to a student like, why are you getting bullied? What's going on? Oh, well, sensei, they're making fun of my clothes. Oh, sensei, they're making fun of where I come from, the way I talk. And you have to tell them like, it's going to be okay. They're going to make it funny right now. Who cares about it? You have to tell them like, who cares? They're going to make themselves try to feel better about who they are or what's going through with their life by making you feel bad. And don't give them that strength. Don't give them that power. Don't give that to them. And if you talk to them, but if you're just like, oh, well, just man up, like, who cares, whatever. Like, no, you got to talk to them and figure out what the problem is, especially with a child, because they're not, sometimes they're not going to want to talk about it.
1: or, yeah, or most of else the, might I, be I know some, some kids that we've had in the past were bullied, and I asked them about it, and they don't want to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's so. why they, well, that's one thing that why their parents or someone puts them in martial arts is to build that self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And I know that's why when. I coach and I'm very repetitive about this when I teach kids. I'm always like, good job, nice one. Good throw there. High five. Nice. Because you gotta give them that self-confidence. Like, oh, they, they thought I did a good throw there. You got if you keep on telling them like I gotta get better, uh, I suck, do it again. That's terrible. You're just gonna build, you're just gonna break them down. Mm-hmm. You have to build them up more than you break them down, which sounds funny for I me because the way I teach yeah. adults is very different. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people's like, oh, want so me the adults. It's like, because I feel adults can take a little bit more. I, I I break you down to build you up as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and I get accused sometimes of bullying adults. I was like, I don't bully adults. Uh, sensei just, bully. <laughs> I know. Like one of our, one of my, my favorite students, like one of the people, he calls me sensei bully. It introduces me to other people. This is as, sensei bully. <laughs> this is my sensei bully here. I'm like, I'm not a bully. I'm just a little stricter than the average person <laughs> nowadays. All right. I grew up in a different time. <laughs> But they tell that in the coaching clinic, don't bully your students. If you see bullying, mm-hmm. try to stop it, figure out what's going on. Don't just let it continue, okay? It's one thing if like a kid makes fun another kid as they're doing horse play.
1: Mm-hmm. But If you
0: see the kid gets hurt from it, and you see like they're getting really sad, you're like, hey, that's not cool. You need to stop it right now. You yep. gotta, and I've, I've never seen, I've been lucky enough when you know, in my karate classes or in judo class or anything I've taught, I've never really seen bullying that uh, get that way at all where kids will horse around and get really mm-hmm. bullied. I know we have one student right now that you always bring up the same scenario that pulls kids by the hair. Yeah. But I don't know we, how we you put allow that.
1: You got to put a stop <laughs> we'll to s- that. Yeah.
0: We did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. That's really weird. <laughs> but that's the whole thing, like as a sensei, as a coach, as an instructor, you have to listen to what your students are telling you, whether they're a child or an adult, and you have to figure out what's best for them. And if they're an adult and they're having a rough time, maybe you should tell them that maybe you need to go talk to a therapist or psychiatrist mm-hmm. that use it. I don't want to go to a head shrinker. And it's going to be really tough to tell a parent, you know, I think a child's having some really deep seated issues, maybe they need to go talk to somebody. Because parents don't want to hear that. Parents don't, don't want hear to hear that. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's a very tough thing to try to talk to somebody about.
1: Because a lot experience. a lot of times those kids, the parents are the issue too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So sometimes, yeah. <laughs>
0: Like, yeah, I think your kid has some bullying issues at home, namely you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's a tough thing with this, with just the stress of life sometimes. And I know we come with our own things that we do for judo as an escape to let off steam and to get through things. But, you know, sometimes you got to talk to somebody. That's just how it is. Yeah, today. judo is definitely good
1: th- for my mental health. So yeah.
0: And I know he's like, oh, I talk to my friends. No, something you talk to your own friends. And I'll do like, oh, one's being a big baby. Oh, one's a, I don't want to say other words. I don't like get us kicked off. It's was like, no, I'm trying to be honest here. I'm trying to have an honest conversation with you. Damn it. That's, <laughs> being that's an why, adult right now.
1: That's why most of my friends are women. <laughs> 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 Outside of, I, Judo, I just, of course. I just thought you were a ladies
0: <laughs> man. I just thought you had a no, big wow. black book at home. You know, I thought. Uh. <laughs>
1: No, it's just, we, we need a change in culture. Like, it's not acceptable for men to talk like that for still. Like, it's more s- acceptable now, but especially well, in, the just, mar- in the martial well, arts community, it's still very well, looked down upon.
0: I've seen moms. I've seen moms and women talk the same way. It's just that I think it's just mm-hmm. a grappling thing. We're just a different breed. If you're a combat yeah. sports person, we're just a different breed. People always say, oh, it's men's doing this, men doing it. I've heard some women say some really weird things to yeah. each other and at people. And especially because we're men, we're supposed to accept it. So Anthony, is there anything other aspects about the mental health of competing that you want to talk about? I mean, we talked about therapy, we talked about talking Mm -hmm. to people, we talked about the pressure of being part of your national team, we talked about people helping you out and all these things. Is there anything else you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, overall, some people are going to say that a lot of bad things are being uncovered, but I think that's like the first step to making good progress. And it's a lot more acceptable to talk about mental health now, which is a good thing. And Luckily, I'm privileged to not suffer from most of these cases and hopefully (laughs) I don't continue to have any of these problems, but I do think it's something that should be discussed more often and talked about and I mean we always talk about how sports evolve like how people always run faster, swim faster, throw things farther and stuff and judo evolves, combat sports evolves and stuff and it's not just all physical there's the the mental aspect and i think the mental aspect of sports is starting to see the, the evolution that we're seeing all these decades ago on the physical side so yeah it's uh hopefully things keep going upward in upward trend
0: yeah well, hopefully it does so anthony is that a wrap is there anything yep. else that's, that's it. a wrap all right Yep. all right thank you for watching the video too actually you want to know what I'm going to have Anthony do the outro today.
1: Anthony, oh, I'm not away. ready. I'm not prepared. Thanks um, no, listen, for, for listening. You can email us at Tommy talk at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at the Tommy, at the Tommy talk, not the Tommy talk. You can follow one at the GR eight underscore one, and you can follow me at Anthony throws. Let us know what you think. What you have any questions? We can talk about it. So anything else, Juan?
0: Nah, it's great. Good job. I'm very proud of you. All right, peace out. Thanks, everyone.